what is likely the most popular question among Christian circles? If you were going to say, hey, what is the question that most people are going to ask? You know, if they, what, what are most people going to rack their brain about that are, that are seeking God? And I think it's probably, what is God's will for my life? Have you all ever asked that question? Have you asked that question in, your, in the past? You asked that question today? And I think we've probably all heard somebody ask that question, or most of us have asked that question countless times as well. And it seems like this huge question, it is a huge question, right? What does God want me to do with my life? What, what does God, what is his ultimate will for my life? And none of us want to miss out on that, right? I mean, we're all like, hey, we, we want to know what that is. Yet sadly, this mystical way of thinking about God's will leads to paralysis in making decisions in life. You, you see so many men and women refuse to commit to a spouse because what if that's not God's will for my life? What if that person is not, or, or they won't commit to a career, career because what if that's not God's will for my life? Or, or maybe even you wake up in the morning and you're trying to figure out what breakfast cereal you're supposed to eat, and you can't even figure that one out because what if God wants you to eat frosted mini weeds and not raisin bran this morning? Okay, maybe that last one's a little far-fetched, but I think it sometimes gets that ridiculous in our, in our minds that we have this mystical idea that God has this hidden plan and it's hidden, and we can't figure it out. And I, I'll say there's most certainly a need to take godly steps when we make decisions. So I'm not trying to, to act like we just need to jump into any relationship, or we just need to jump into any career without consulting God, right? We, we should be praying uh, daily and regularly, and we're, we're going to see here without ceasing. Uh, we should be reading God's Word regularly. I, I hear so many people that will come to me with a question. They'll say, Pastor, should I do this? And I don't even have to pray about it. If God's Word just specifically says no no like oh you know i really like this guy he's, he's cute you know uh, he does, he's not a believer no the answer is no I, we, i'm not praying about that the answer is no god's going to shot block that prayer anyway he's going to say you need to be obedient or man this this girl man you know you'll, you'll never meet a nicer person she would do anything for anyone but she doesn't love jesus well the answer is no i don't care how great she is the answer is no so so many times God's will is just read his word and you'll know more about his will. We need to seek that. We need to be obedient. And yet we should be see, you know, seeking his will in those things. But it's not near as complex as we make it out to be. I feel like many of us, we kind of have this idea that God has this will for our life and, and this huge overarching will, and he's, he hides it from us so that we, we're playing a game of hide and seek with God. You know, he's hidden it somewhere under here, and we got to keep seeking so that we can find it. And it's like, all right, God, is this, my, is this the plan? Or, or is this? And, and we're spending this time just with this esoteric, mystical view of God. Like, he's trying to hide his plan from us. My friends, this is nothing short than garbage. That's my theological term. Actually, my, my Englishman theological term would be rubbish. That's, my, that's really what it is, because God is not in the business of stringing you along and kind of playing you like a fiddle to just, just laughing that you can't figure out my plan for you, and, and I'm going to keep hiding it from you, and, and I'm going to keep pushing it away, and I'm going to keep pulling that rope so that you can't ever grab it, and I'm going to keep, you know, your whole life you're going to be trying to figure out what I want you to do, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. And my friends, he has wired us. As we see, he had knit us together in our mother's womb. And he has wired us to do what he wants us to do as long as we're following him in obedience. As long as his Holy Spirit has filled us, we are a born-again believer. He will guide and direct us. He promises through his word, which answers many of our questions that we ask. We could save a lot of time in our prayers if we actually read his word and knew what he said. Then we wouldn't ask 
frankly, ridiculous questions, questions that are just way out from left field because we don't know what he says. So be in his word regularly. And he will, once we are saved, the Holy Spirit indwells us and guides us and convicts us when we make the wrong decision. So we, we, we want to do this one career, and, and we may have, maybe have the wrong motives, and God convicts us and says, hey, no, that's not the right one. And he switches us to something else. When we make that other decision, then we feel peace, and we know, oh, we are in the will of God. It's, it's so much more clear, and he's wired us, and he's given us certain abilities that, that other people don't have and certain skills that people don't have, and then we don't have what they have. And so some of us have an ability to, to be math-oriented. Well, engineering might be something you need to do or, or something in the math fields. If you're not good at math, that's probably not what God has for you to do. If you're, if you're getting F's in math, engineering is probably not on your list. Sorry to butt rush your bubble. So, but, but God has wired us and gifted us to do what he wants us to do. It's not this mystical thing. But I can promise you, if you are a born-again believer, you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that if you obey these three short verses, we have three just power-packed short verses here, if you obey them, you will fulfill God's will for your life. So let's j- join me uh, as we get into 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. It says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, forgive us for not knowing your word the way we need to. Forgive us for um, doubting that you want us to know what your will is. Forgive us for, for not seeing you as your word portrays you, that you are a relational God, that you are a loving God, uh, that, that you desire us to walk with you daily, minute by minute, hour by hour. So God, as we open up these, these three power-packed verses in your scripture and some parallels that go with it, God, just open up our minds and our hearts to understand you more fully. And God, especially for the young people here who, who don't know what they're going to do with their career, uh, they don't know who they're going to marry, they don't know where they're going to live, they don't know what they're called to, God, uh, may this be just a, a peaceful sermon for them to know that you are going to walk with them each and every step of the way, that you're not going to be pulling the string and they're going to have to try to figure out what it is. They're playing a game of memory match trying to figure things out or, or trying to crack a code. But God, that you are going to walk with them, that you've wired them, that you've built them to do what you have them to do, that you're going to bring the right person into their life if that's your will for them, and you're going to bring that person at the right time. They're going to have clarity. They're going to be able to look at your word and say, hey, does this person measure up to what a godly husband looks like or what a godly wife looks like? Do they meet the criteria of scripture in these areas? And they're going to be able to use your word and use your spirit that is indwelling them to make the right decision. To, to make the decision that is according to your will. So God, just, uh, just be with us today and help us to enjoy this time in your word. We love you. Amen. So today we're going to see three ways in which we, we can follow God's, uh, three ways in which if we follow them, we will be in the will of God. The first one is, as a Christ follower, God's will for your life requires rejoicing. Requires rejoicing. And here is uh, verse 16 again. Rejoice always. So the previous sermon, if you were here last week, we talked about the healthy church family, and it was about relationships within the church. We talked about the pastor-congregation relationship. We talked about the the congregational, interpersonal relationships there, too. As we look at these three, these are more about worship of God, and it's more about a a vertical relationship with the Lord, but I can promise you if our vertical relationship is right, our relationship is going to be a whole lot better. So this does not go far off course from last week. And starting with verse 16, we see that we are to rejoice always. 
And I'm going to kind of give you a little Bible trivia here at first as we start. This is actually the shortest verse in the Bible. Most of you are going to be like, no, it's Jesus wept. John 11:35. you even said it a few weeks ago, Jesus wept. And I am right when I say that it is the shortest verse in the Bible. When I said Jesus wept, it's the shortest verse in the English Bible. But if we look actually at the original Greek, this verse actually has uh, 14 letters in the, in the original Greek, whereas Jesus wept has 16. So your fun fact, if you want to know what the shortest verse in the Bible, Greek-wise, uh, it is this one. But although this may be the shortest verse in the Greek New Testament, in the Greek uh, Bible there, uh, if we're looking at the New Testament, it comes with quite a charge, doesn't it? Rejoice always. Well, what does he really mean about rejoice here? And if we look at this book, we're coming toward the end, and we've seen the word joy four times thus far. And, and, and we, we've seen Paul speak about joy in the midst of affliction in chapter 1, verse 6, uh, in consider joy in considering the coming of Jesus Christ, uh, the, re- the return in, in 2.19, and with joy and thanksgiving in 2.20 and 3.9. And this word rejoice is a similar to the Greek word for joy. It is hierro, is how you would say it, and it means to be glad or rejoice. And it's interesting that he's used this word five times, or the variant, joy four and rejoice one, in these five chapters. And and the problem is, like, when you look at the church of Thessalonica, they're being persecuted, as you've seen throughout this book. Uh, they, they've had a rough go at it. So why is Paul using this word five times? Joy. And then you see in the book of Philippians, which we went through last year, he used this same word, joy and rejoice, th- these two words, seven times in four chapters. And that church is in Macedonia, and they were being persecuted as well. So obviously, Paul's trying to tell us something. We need to have joy even in the midst of persecution. But then we come to the second word, rejoice always. And that literally, the word always, is, is, it means at all times. There's, there's no time we should not be rejoicing. No time we should not be joyful. And, and so we can kind of practically put that in a few settings here. Rejoice always, right? When you lose your job, rejoice always. Seems kind of tough, doesn't it? When your marriage is struggling, rejoice always. When you are ill, Rejoice always. When you lose a loved one, rejoice always. And when you have financial struggles, rejoice always. Some of you hear this and you're kicking back like, these are bad situations. Those do not seem like times where I'm ready to have joy or I'm ready to rejoice. And, and I'll argue in a contemporary understanding of joy, which is a fleeting emotion, more like happiness, then you'd be right. Yeah, you shouldn't be happy when these things happen. But you should have joy, and, and today's culture equates rejoicing to happiness, and we've cheapened true joy to an emotion that can be gone with the wind. But this is not the biblical definition of joy. If you remember last week, Paul talked about patience and, and being at peace with one another and being patient with one another. Remember, we referred back to Galatians 5, 22-23, the fruit of the Spirit, and how there's no way to do either one of those without the Spirit of God indwelling you. You can't be patient with people if you don't have the Spirit of God, and even if you have the Spirit of God, it's hard work. <laughs> We've talked about that, too. And there's no way you can ever experience true peace in the midst of persecution, in the midst of a rough life, if you don't have the Holy Spirit. Well, this joy is another fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy. It's, it's, it's the second one, as we see there. So we cannot have joy apart from the Spirit of God. True joy is found irrespective of one's circumstances because true joy is found in who? Christ. True joy is found in Christ. When we have the fruit of the Spirit, namely, when we're able to have joy, 
And we realize that our joy is irrevocable because our salvation is irrevocable. Our joy does not come from our circumstances. It doesn't come from our wallet. It doesn't come from our financial gains. It doesn't come from our financial losses. Our joy comes from the fact that we are born again, that we are saved, that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, that we have the guarantee of eternal life with Jesus Christ. And that never changes. Once you are truly in Christ, Jesus said, no one will pluck you out of my hand. You are signed, sealed, and delivered for eternity. That's why God speaks as if you were already in heaven. You're a joint heir. He's already preparing a place for you. It's already happened in eternity. And so when we think about joy, we need to reflect on salvation. If you want to have real joy and you're like, man, I'm just really not a joyous person, well, you need to think more about salvation. You need to think more about eternity and, and what God has done for you on the cross. It's only when we do that that we can have that inner joy and peace that's described in the fruit of the Spirit. And our joy should be driven by a relationship with our Savior and through our glorious hope in Him. And if we truly reflect on joy that way, we can be like the apostles in Acts 5, 40 through 41. And when they had called in the apostles, they what? They beat them. Yeah, you're right. They, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And so now we're saying, okay, the, the, this next verse, we're thinking, and they went with their tails between their legs. They never talked about Jesus again, right? And they were like, why did we ever sign up for this? No. What do they do? Then they left the presence of the council, and what's this word? Rejoicing. They're rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. What name? Jesus Christ. So they remembered, we're saved. We have eternity with Christ, and yes, we just got beat up. And you know, getting beat up doesn't make you happy. It's not a great thing to do. And if you were signing up for beatings, well, that probably requires counseling. That is not something, we don't need to be wanting those things to happen. But if they happen in the name of Jesus Christ, for Jesus Christ, we can still be, wow, you know what? We have salvation. We have heaven to go toward. And, you know, yeah, we suffered for this, but we know what our reward is. And no present suffering can outweigh the glory that is to be revealed forever. Amen? So the apostles would not have their joy stolen. This council could not steal their joy. They actually rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for Christ. Brothers and sisters, what is stealing your joy today? If you look at your life, what is stealing your joy today? Pastor John MacArthur gives this great admonition here, and I'm going to read it without the underlined word at first. Therefore, or the underlined phrase, therefore no event or circumstance in the Christian life can or should diminish his true joy. Nothing should diminish our true joy. But there is this phrase here, apart from sin. There is only one thing if you are a true believer in Jesus Christ. No circumstance, no financial struggle. Yeah, those things can make you unhappy. They can make you sad. And these emotions are true emotions. And, and you can't deny that we do get sad or that we get upset. And those are things that are natural. We need to have self-control with those emotions. We don't just give in to those emotions with anger and things like that. But those are going to happen. But joy should be consistent despite how you feel. Joy is a deeper level issue. It's a spirit thing. But there's only one thing that can mess up your joy, that can steal your joy, apart from sin. So sin is the one thing in our lives, the only thing in our lives, in a true believer's life that can diminish our joy because it creates a barrier between you and your Savior. 
when we have unconfessed sin in our lives, our joy will not be complete. When we, when we continue give it, continually give in to anxiety, when we continually give in to sexual sin, when we continually give in to pride, when we continually, whatever that sin is for you, it will steal your joy. And it, it, those are joy stealers. Sin is a joy stealer because it creates that barrier. And if you find yourself struggling for inner peace and joy, and you're just like, man, I'm just not joyful. I'm not saying happy. Sometimes we have periods of our life where happiness is hard to come by. Sometimes things are tough. You look at Paul, he gets to the point in 2 Corinthians that he says he despairs of life itself. He gets so upset, so depressed at that point. But yet, his joy wasn't stolen. You look, and he has hope in Jesus Christ, and he starts just preaching the gospel yet again. But if you find yourself, check out this right here with the psalmist David. Psalm 139, 23 through 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. The Lord promises, if you pray and ask, he will reveal to you where your sin is. Do you pray that way? Do you say, God, where am I blowing it? What, what blind spots are in my life? What, what things do I need to give up? What things do I need to start doing? Who am I not treating as well as I need to be treating them? Uh, who am I neglecting? Who am I, what am I not doing that I need to be doing? You know, all those things. Do you ask God to reveal those things? Do you ask him to search your heart? Is my heart truly for you or am I divided? Do I care more about what other people think or do I care more about what you think? Do you, do you ask him those questions? Do you reflect on your heart? Do you ask God, man, you know, is my heart really for you? And I can promise you that if you do, he will reveal those things. But I can also promise you, if you're not a believer, that true joy will never come to you. There is no true joy, as we, as we learned about the fruit of the Spirit. There is no true love. There is no true joy or peace or patience or any others without Jesus Christ. He is the giver of joy. The fruits of the Spirit come from his sacrificial atoning death on the cross. Jesus, who came fully God, fully man, died on the cross for our sins, rose three days later, now it's the right hand of the Father, who paid your, our, the, the sacrificial payment that you deserved on the cross. When we repent of our sins, we turn to him, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit gives us the fruit of the Spirit through Christ's death. And if we ever want to have true joy, we must be a child of God. Only then can you re- truly rejoice always. Next we see in number two, as a Christ follower, God's will for your life requires relationship. God's will for your life requires relationship. In verse 17, pray without ceasing. If you recall back in June, we addressed this verse as a parallel to Colossians 4, 2, which states, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So in today's scripture, we see that we're to pray without ceasing, and Colossians told us to be persistent in prayer, steadfast in prayer, so we're to persist and persevere in prayer. That's what we're seeing here. But what does he really mean when he says pray without ceasing? That's a pretty tough, tough command, right? I mean, rejoicing always is pretty tough, but praying without ceasing, like how can we walk around praying without ceasing? What does that mean? And at the risk of repetition and quoting the same man twice in the same sermon and to quote the exact same quote I gave back in June, I'm going to do it because I can't find anything better out there in any commentaries I read that explain this as clearly as Pastor John MacArthur does. He says, 
Praying at all times is not necessarily limited to constant vocalizing of prayers to God. Rather, it refers to a God consciousness that relates every experience in life to him. In other words, we should be relating to God at all times. We should be conscious and cognizant of God throughout everything. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you should be cognizant of God. And a relationship without communication is no relationship at all. Do any, any of you all have a relationship without communication? Well, it's not a relationship, is it? If we claim to be followers of Christ, yet we do not relate to Christ through prayer, we do not, we're not conscious of him as we walk day to day, then how strong is our faith? And frankly, is our faith even real? Do we have a true faith? Do we have a relationship with God as we walk our lives hour by hour, day by day, minute by minute? However we want to break it down, are we aware of Christ with us? And we should always be aware and fully reliant on God for all things because he is our sustainer. He's our savior. He's our redeemer, our wonderful counselor, our prince of peace, our mighty God, our everlasting father. We need to understand our need for God. If you are married, I'm sure that when you started dating or courting your spouse, no one had to remind you to communicate with them. You, you couldn't help but want to communicate. You look at a new couple, and it's like sickening. They just want to communicate all the time. I mean, it's, it's great. I'm just kidding. But, but I mean, it, it, it's wonderful. Like, they can't get enough of each other. I still have that for my wife. I'll just say that. Try to earn a couple points while I'm up here. But I do. I'm not, I'm not lying up here. The Bible's right here. I better not lie. I do. I do. But, but how much more should we desire to relate to and communicate with the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins, who's given everything for us. How much more beautiful is Christ than anyone on earth? How much more wonderful is Christ than anyone? How much more interesting is Christ than anyone on earth? I'm afraid our prayer problem and our consciousness of God problem is really a problem with our view of God. We don't pray without ceasing because we do not see the beauty and magnificence of our creator. The psalmist understood this beauty of God and magnificence of God throughout the psalms, and I'm just going to give you three here really quickly. Psalm 27, 4, one thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, or 104, 24 through 25. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all, the earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures, innumerable living things, both great and small. And finally, in 50, verse 2, out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. As you read these words from the psalmist, you see they're all of God. They see him as, as beautiful. His works are amazing. He is mighty. I think that our prayer problem is often a, a worship problem it is it's it's that we don't have the high view of god that we should really have and i challenge you as you go throughout this next week just spend some time in praise and thanksgiving to god and prayer uh, spend some time in praise and worship of god uh, you can turn on some music if you want to i mean that's a great way to do it but but you can also praise god without music just looking at what he's done, looking at the mountains and his, just his strength and his power and his majesty, looking at the stars and just his handiwork and how he's 
fashioned them the way that he wanted them to be and how beautiful they are. Looking at the trees and how they can stay alive all winter and then come back and bloom again in the the spring. How, How wise is he to create a tree that can do that? How amazing is that? That we can create something that looks dead for six months and then springs anew within, within days. In that same vein, why do we not notice the greatness and beauty of God as we regularly should? What is our problem? Like, why, why are we not seeing this? And I think that our relational struggle with God is very similar to our relational struggle with each other. I think it comes first and foremost down to busyness. We have what we want to do, and so we do it. And, and we're so focused on what we need to do, and we get so task-oriented of what we, what we plan, what we want to do, that until we run out of energy, until we fall on our face and we're like, I can't go anymore, I'm worn out. Until we've done everything that we wanted to do and we're fatigued, because th- th- then we come to God in prayer. Because we've neglected our creator and sustainer the whole time. And at the heart of that busyness lies the old sin of selfishness. It's all about us. And I think, you know, since the beginning, the fall of man, that has been our struggle. We want to get done what we want to get done, and we don't submit again to him until our energy is done. Brothers and sisters, how much better would our lives be? How much, how much more satisfying would our lives be if we stayed plugged in to our sustainer who never runs out of energy? Uh, if we stayed plugged into our Savior who guides and directs us, and if we die to our selfish, s- selfishness? Again, I challenge you this week to recalibrate your focus. Look at your busyness. Start knocking things off the calendar that don't need to be there and put things that do need to be there, like reading the Word, being in prayer, being cognizant of God, going on prayer walks, just spending time just looking at creation and seeing what he's done and, and, and praise God for that. Finally, we see that number three, as a Christ follower, God's will for your life requires recognition. God's will for your life requires recognition. I'm going to read verse 18 again for us. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We all know what it means to give thanks, and most of us, since we've been little, have been trained to say thank you, right? Somebody gives, serves you food, and what do you say? Thank you. You know, somebody uh, opens a door for you, and you say thank you. However, in this context, we're called, when we're commanded to give thanks in what? All circumstances. Uh, What? Like, wait a second. Does that mean when the police officer pulls you over and gives you a ticket, you're supposed to say thank you? Do you all do that? Probably should because they're keeping the, keeping the place safe, but we're not real happy about it because it's expensive. So, or do you tell your employ, employer thank you if you're laid off from work? Well, that's a circumstance. You know, I, and, and how, so, so this, there's only one Greek word for this phrase in all, or all circumstances, if we're looking at that, and it's pos, and it literally means all or everything. It encompasses everything, and so the preposition in is in this original Greek, and so it's in everything. And so sometimes we'll see in everything, in other, other versions, or uh, either at the beginning or the, or the end of that phrase. I personally like the clarity we see in the ESV here in all circumstances. It just lets you know, hey, in everything, this is when you're to give thanks. And this must start by recognizing that everything comes from God. He's, he's sovereign. He is in control. And this should drive us to thankfulness. And this command of thankfulness is really linked to another command that we see in Philippians 4 called contentment. And contentment, thankfulness and contentment are, are really a hand-in-hand type of issue. 
And last November, I preached a sermon entitled The Secret of Contentment in Philippians. And during this, we learned how we could be content in all circumstances, which was very similar. And we see in Philippians 4, 11 through 13, Paul say this, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I've learned how to be brought low, and, I've learned, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've, leave, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So the key to learning contentment is being thankful in Christ. Paul mentions he has hard times and he has good times. He, he's, he's had little and he's had a lot. But at the end of verse 13, who does he focus on? But I can do all things through Christ, right? Him who strengthens me, meaning Christ who strengthens So Christ is the cause for Paul's thankfulness. He knows that he is walking with him. And prayers of thanksgiving are, are key for us to remain joyful in this life. If you look at most people's prayer lives, they usually are asking for things, whether it's financial blessing, uh, whether it's for a test that they have coming up, whether it's for their job, whether it's for their neighbor. You know, we spend a lot of our prayer time asking for things over and over again. Lord, help me to do this and help me to know what's right here. And those things are frankly not always bad. We actually are told in Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. But don't miss a word that comes before let your requests be made known. We jump right at that. Okay, I'll let all my requests be known to God, and we word vomit God. Like, hey, do all this for me, please. I want all this. You're my genie. Rub, rub the lamp. That's what I want to do. That's not how it works, right? It says what? With thanksgiving our prayers our contentment comes from thanksgiving so whether the answer is no or it's yes we can be content we can be thankful because we know what he has done for us and what has he done for us folks he died on the cross for our sins he's given us eternal life we can have joy we can be thankful we can be content we can pray without ceasing because we know we have a a relationship with our creator god and a prayer life dominated by by asking for this and asking for that is breeds discontentment it it, it breeds unthankfulness our praise and thankfulness of god should be an anchor for our prayers Our, our our prayer life should not be anchored in god's answers to all of our prayers yes he is faithful and he does answer our prayers and he's going to answer all of our prayers yesterday or later i mean they're all going to have an answer of some sort it may take us a little while to figure out what that is. But, but he does promise to answer that. But our anchor, the reason we keep going back, the reason we, can, we know that our prayers are being heard is through thanksgiving of knowing what he already has done. When we reflect back on what he has done for us, namely on the cross, we can be thankful. And then even looking at other things, that's why we've talked about having a prayer journal. If you keep that, you can look back and look at all of the prayers that he's answered over your life. And you can look back and be like, wow, thank you, God. You kept me out of that situation. That could have been really bad. Yeah, you know what? Uh, that person I really wanted to marry, but man, that's really good. That didn't work out. And, and, and you start to play all these things out, and you see those no's were great answers too. Or that job that came through for you just at the last minute. And you can be like, thank you, Lord. I know that you love me. You provide for me. And we can praise God by reflection by reflection on our lives and reflection on the beauty of his creations. We talked about 
during our last point. The fact that we have oxygen to breathe today. The fact that most of us ate a meal before we came here or we had a really good snack. Praise the Lord for the, the people that make snacks here. Thank you all very much. Uh, you know, or, or, or we see the, the warmth on a day like this in November, this beautiful warmth that we get to walk outside and see or rain that falls and helps our plants grow and continues to do that. Thankfulness encourages us to praise and worship God. And this leads to us being in the will of God because his will is to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. Come toward the end here, and we see what I've underlined here, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And this statement refers to the previous three, as we've, as we've alluded to this whole time. It doesn't just refer to this, it refers to all three of these statements. To rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and to give thanks in all circumstances is God's will for you. God has not made his will hidden for you. It's not something you've got to go and try to play hide-and-seek with. He has put it right here. And may we seek, seek him, obey him by following his commands here. As we come to a close, I think Robert Piccarelli, he's a theologian, he summarizes these verses really, really well. And he focuses in on the descriptive words that we see about each one of these verbs. We see always, without ceasing, and in everything. And those, those three descriptive words... Describe the consistency of the believer. Always. That means dependability. It's, it's always that way. Without ceasing, without fail, right? We, we pray. Uh, with, you know, when we see in, in, in everything, we give thanks. In everything, I mean, it's, it's all about consistency. Uh, the believer, what we want to do, if we want to be in the will of God, we need to be consistent with these things. Not just haphazard and not just varying one day to the next, not blown like the wind, like chaff in the wind. But a true believer who is following God's will for his or her life is a consistent believer. It is someone who is consistent. They are obedient to the word. They, they read the word regularly. They're, they're consistent in prayer. They're consistent in contentment and giving thanks. And they are consistently joyful because they're in a right relationship with Christ. The world around us is always changing. Truth Today is relative tomorrow. Moral today is immoral tomorrow. Right today is wrong tomorrow. But we can remain consistent because our God never changes. His word never changes. And if we continue walking with him in consistency, we can know that we are in the will of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you do help us to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing and to give thanks in all circumstances. God, help us to be in your will. And God, I pray that, that for any young people or even, even middle or older, uh, God, that, that are still trying to figure out what your will is for them, that they just have peace right now knowing that your will is, is fairly straightforward. Uh, it's actually pretty simple. Uh, just, a, just a few words here as we see in these, these short verses. But God, it is hard, and it's only done through your spirit in us. So God, your first will for us is that we are saved. You, just, you don't desire anyone to go into, ju into judgment. You take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, your word says. So God, if there's anyone here who does not know you, I'd love to talk to them about what it means to be a believer. And for us who, who are saved, we have your Holy Spirit indwelling us that gives us the fruit of the Spirit. So God, give us those fruits. God, help us not to rely on our own strength and our own selfishness, and doing what we want to do. But help us to plug into you and to walk with you each and every day. 
Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your grace and mercy. And may you be glorified through our lives. In your name I pray. Amen.